Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Self Love Club, a place where boss babes share their stories to empower women. Welcome to the Self Love Club podcast. I'm Val Crawford and you can find out more about why I've launched this club at valcrawford.com. I'd love for you to join it and trust me, it's not like a cult or pyramid scheme. It's literally just a club where you can come hang out. It's going to be a fun time. Join me for a podcast series where we'll hear the stories of girl boss women who are doing super cool things with their lives. We'll find out how they've done what they have, their self-love and self-care practices, and they'll share their tips to empower you to live your best life. Country New South Wales raised Heidi Anderson always wanted to be a radio star and is now a breakfast radio host in Perth. Heidi is also a mental health advocate, openly sharing her battles with anxiety and has shared her negative body image issues with writing on her website. This chat with Heidi is super relatable. We talk about relationships, always partying, drugs, panic attacks and self-doubt. We are so lucky to have Heidi share her story and advice on the Self Love Club podcast. Heidi, thank you so much for being on the Self Love Club podcast. This is so exciting. I've wanted to have you on for quite a while, so I'm pretty stoked. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I've been hearing all these other people and I'm like, hopefully I can live up to your expectations instead. Oh, not at all. You'll be amazing. (laughs) Oh, well, we hope so. There we go. There's hashtag (laughs) self-doubt. Yeah, which we we all have that. So um, tell everyone about yourself and what you do. Um, so I am a radio host in Perth on a radio show called Heidi's Avian Ryan. Um, I've been in Perth six years this November. I used to work on another show called Heidi Will and Woody. And then I've traveled around the country working on radio shows before that. Did a stint in Big Brother. <laughs> That's not how I got into radio. I just set the record straight. I worked in radio before that. <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with that. And then um, I used to work in public relations. I'm a country girl and um, I suffer from anxiety and I talk a lot about the negative body image issues that I've had over the years. Yeah, amazing. So tell us about where you grew up. You're from the country, you say. So what was your yeah. like upbringing and childhood like? Without sounding like a therapy session, but this can totally be a therapy <laughs> session too. Like, What was your childhood like? I've got a a 2pm psych appointment today, actually, (laughs) so this will just warm me up. Um, So I grew up in New South Wales in a place called Bathurst. It's about 30,000 people, amazing parents, um, both super hardworking, both have their own businesses. And then I've got an older brother, Nick, who's 18 months older than me. He's a historian um, and an author, so um, he got the brains in the family and Um, I got the... You're pretty smart too. (laughs) I wouldn't say smart, maybe street smart, whereas he's book smart. (laughs) Um, But, you know, we complement each other because we're complete opposites. Um, But, yeah, so I grew up in Bathurst and I reckon it's only been in the last few years that I've probably realised how much I'm like my mum. And, you know, I think growing up I had absolutely no self-awareness of who I was or anything like that. And I was just this wild, crazy, loud mouth who just wanted to live life to the fullest and that meant, you know, I did some really crazy shit and just partied all the time. And it wasn't probably till later now that I've gone, oh my gosh, I am like 
so my mother, I didn't realise she had anxiety and that's probably, you know, she's passed it on to me because it's a chemical imbalance. And then also I didn't realise that she was an emotional eater, which is something I've battled with my whole life because she never really spoke about it, but obviously her behaviours have been put into me. But yeah, it was a great it was a great childhood and I love going home to Bathurst. Yeah. And so we'll talk more about those things you're talking about with like anxiety and the, um, yeah. the negative self-body stuff soon. But what did you want to do when you were growing up? Did you know what you wanted to do when you grew up? <sighs> I wanted to be a radio star. So you've always wanted to do radio. That's cool. Yeah. And I still remember it was a girl, um, Gemma, one of my mates, we used to set up in the um, in our bedroom, like in my bedroom, and we used to do radio shows mm-hmm. together. And I still remember sitting in the room and we would record it on my little pink, um, you know, recorder that I got for Christmas. And we would do our own radio shows and we'd have even people like call in and, you know, we'd call <laughs> out to people. And But I also remember going through a phase where I wanted to be a hairdresser and then and obviously I did want to follow in the footsteps of my mum, which was owning my own coffee shop and that one day as well. But, um, yes, let's just say that's definitely passed. Yeah. <laughs> How did you get into radio? Did you go train in it or what happened? It's a really interesting story. I was working at the pub in Bathurst at the Knickerbocker Hotel and I was studying public relations at uni and a lady came up to me one night and she said, you do realise you have a great radio voice. And I was like, oh, really? And it was my first year of uni or whatever. And she said, you should come down and do work experience at local B-Rock FM. And um, I just kind of didn't really think anything of it. And then they kept calling the pub and, and they said, when are you coming down? And I ended up going down months and months later. And then I used to get up before uni and I used to go in and write gossip and stuff for one of the breakfast shows in there and just did pretty much like volunteer work there for a year and a half whilst I was studying. And then when I finished uni in public relations in in Bathurst at Charles Sturt, I decided that I wanted to travel and I wanted to get into radio, but the the B-Rock didn't employ me. They ended up giving the job to someone else. And I remember I was so pissed off. But now I look back and I think if I went straight in to do a breakfast show at 21 years old, what would I have talked about? Mm. in my hometown. Do you know what I mean? Like I then went off and travelled for four years after that and worked in PR and worked in bars and then I just couldn't let it go that radio was inside me and it was like it it was in my blood and I'm like I just need to do radio and then I ended up coming home and going to Afters which is Australian Film Television Radio School and that's kind of how it all came about. Yeah, and then where did you go from there? Oh, so I was desperate to do a breakfast show and I remember at the end of it and I, I still remember I never really sounded like myself on air and that's what I really struggled with. Mm. I had this like different persona and I couldn't relax. And so I remember being desperate to be on radio and like desperate to be on a breakfast show, but there was nothing really coming up. And when I would, when you would hear those moments of natural me being just myself, I had people going, you'll be great one day, one day, one day. But I wanted it all. By then I was 26, 27 and I was like, I ain't got time to waste. You know what I mean? Like give Mm. me a breakfast show somewhere in the country. And then I ended up getting a music shift and I was devastated in Warrnambool. But it was also one of the best things that happened to me because I ended up learning how to write copy and um, and. That just fueled my desire. And literally nine weeks after working in Warrnambool, I was headhunted through someone else's demo that I went to, a guy that I went to um, radio school with for Southern Cross of Stereo, and he was applying for a job in Bunbury. And they heard me on his demo from radio school and they said, we need to get her to demo with you. And then that's how it all came about. And then I started 
doing breakfast radio in Bunbury at Hot FM and did two years there and then went to Newcastle and um, did NXFM with Heath and Normie, another show, and then I did Big Brother, which yeah. was an interesting time of my life. Um, and then I came to Perth and that's yeah. where I am now. I know what you mean, though. It can be pretty, like, when you really, uh, like, want something so much and it's just not happening and it's so many oh. factors. It's timing. It's, like, just when you're ready as well. And, um, and a lot of it I can relate with, obviously, being in radio too, like, I think a lot of it comes down to like when you really believe in yourself and your self-worth mm. as well and you're just like, I want this so bad and you and it gets frustrating and as you get older you do worry. You're like, am I ever going to do this? I'm getting closer to 30 or whatever. Yeah. You know, like I need to get this done. It's so true and now I'm 35 <laughs> almost and I have other goals that I want to achieve. Like I came back from London and I remember sitting in London with my best friend saying, I am going to be – the best radio broadcaster Australia has ever seen. And that wasn't my ego. That was because I wanted to change the world through the content that I do. And, and you know, and and I think at that stage I was like, yeah, I just want to have fun and this and that. And so for me, having not achieved that yet, I still am like, oh, my God, I'm going to be 40 soon. Am I going to have done all these great things? But then if I actually look back at my radio career... I've done some really epic things yeah. and I should be really proud. And But I think I'm the kind of person, I don't know if you are, but we're, I'm, I'm always thinking of the next thing. Mm. And we're really hard on ourselves. I think people can yeah. relate with that. Like, because a lot of people, you know, like, so you went, did you go to London after you did the, when you're working in Bathurst and you didn't get the yeah. full-time job? Yeah. yeah so and I, yeah. So a lot of people will go to like London or overseas and they'll come back and they'll just be like, you know, I've got to get all this done. I need to do it now or whatever. And I think a lot of us do that. Yeah. Oh, my God. And because I think I wasted so much time in London, <laughs> drinking, taking drugs, um, you know, sleeping with all the wrong men, um, doing everything kind of wrong for my mental health, I came back very, very broken. Mm. And But I had that dream and that desire and that passion. And, you know, I say it to anyone who wants to get into radio and I think any job, if you have that passion, that can't be taught and you will succeed in that area, whatever you do. And I think that's what drove me for the first couple of years of radio is it was really hard and it was some of the hardest times of my life, especially like getting the hang of my mental health and not even really being aware that I was a really anxious person. But the passion and drive that I had to be in a radio announcer and a successful one was what kept me going. Yeah. So talking about like in London, I think I can kind of relate in a, on a like smaller scale. I went to Melbourne for a bit and that sounds like my <laughs> Melbourne time. Like it was well, they were similar. Yeah. And I came back and I was just like, whoa, like a girl needs to take a break, like just partying too much. So like oh. when you were there, you're obviously having a fun time, but how, yeah. did, how did that lifestyle affect your, your mental health and your oh anxiety? My- Oh, well, it's only now that I've become self-aware that I realise how bad it was. And really the reason why I partied as hard as I was partying was because when I wasn't sober, I was broken. And, you know, like a lot of people go, what is anxiety? And for me, I um, renumerated everything over in my head and I couldn't let go of thoughts. Um, I would have panic attacks, but I didn't know what they were. Mm. And so even when I was taking drugs and partying and stuff, I would have panic attacks and not even know what it was. And I was like, why isn't this happening to anyone else? Um, But I would party Friday, Saturday, Sunday, 
And then I would work a full-time job. So this is when I was in London. I would work a full-time job in public relations in a, a, a sports marketing agency. And you worked fucking hard when you were in there. You'd do 12 to 14-hour days. I actually think on some Mondays and Tuesdays, I don't know who was behind the desk, but I was there, but I don't know. And, you know, I think my boss did see something in me because I had that passion and desire with people as well to connect. And so I think that's how I, I got by. But I sit there sometimes and go, I don't know how I stayed employed because I was going out and, you know, drugs were cheap over there and we lived in share houses and everyone was partying like every night of the week. So it just wasn't normal. And it was when I came home that I was like, I was just a shell of my former self Mm. because we went hard and I don't have any regrets. I don't. Like there's things that I would change for different reasons or, you know what I mean, but I don't sit there and go, oh, I regret the whole experience because it was some of the best times of my life as well. And I think sometimes you have to do that and go through all that to – to really work out who you are and what works yeah. for you and what doesn't. Cause if you, and, and yeah, same, like you look back and you're like, yeah, that wasn't fun. Like I just didn't sleep for however long and I'd <laughs> like go home and you'd just be so anxious after those big nights or big weekends. Oh, you can't I, sleep. It's the worst. I know. I know. And it's like just a vicious cycle. But I think the reason why, if I look back, why I became that person was you people hear me now and go, how is that girl not confident? I had no confidence and with the way that I looked, physically looked. And so, and I'd come out of a serious relationship before that. And I have always felt confident in who I was as a person. And I knew by the way that the surrounding of people that I had around me, but I never wanted to be alone. Now I've love being alone, Mm. but I never wanted to be in my own company. I was very much like when I'm drunk, I'm on another level. I was pretty much like that 24 seven. And I think that was all to do with my confidence. Mm. And now I think since I've come and I've worked in radio, I've had to find my own, I've had to really work on my confidence and my self-worth because of other people's opinions. Whereas I never really heard them before. It was just my inner voice was so loud and the self-doubt and the horrible things that I used to say to myself. I think that's why I used to drown it out with drugs, alcohol, people, partying, being busy, you know? Yeah. What were some of those thoughts and, and, and things you thought of yourself? Oh, mate, even when I say it and people's like, do you realize you could never say that? to someone else. And I'm like, I know. And I can't believe that I say it to myself. Things like, um, oh, you're a fat cunt. Um, you are so fucking disgusting. You are horrible. Um, you are absolutely awful. Why, um, why would anyone like you? Why does anyone even look at you? You will never get a boyfriend. You are so fucking disgusting. Like it, the, it was, it was horrible. Look I'm at those. Getting te- fat- I'm getting teary for you <laughs> thinking about all those things. That's I know, horrible. right? And it's like, look at those fat arms. Like it was, yeah. And, and I literally would hide my body shape. Like I still remember traveling with my best friends, my best friends, and this was supposed to be the trip of a lifetime in Europe, and I couldn't leave the tent one day because I was so I was saying those things to myself after a big night and I was so stuck in my head that I was like, why would anyone look and talk to you when you look that disgusting on the beach in your swimmers. And so it was 45 degrees and I sat in the tent and just wanted to, like, you know, um, be in a little hole, shriveled up in a hole. (laughs) 
and and not see anyone ever again. But that's what I mean. Like you hear that and you go, fuck, you speak yeah. to yourself like that? I know. And that's the thing. We do speak to ourselves. Like if mm. we spoke to anyone else like that or if our friends spoke to themselves like that, about like themselves like that, we would be so upset. But then when it comes to ourselves, we can do that quite easily. Yeah. It's horrible. Oh. It's so horrible. And that's what, like, I've wrote it down a couple of times and people are like, read over that and say, would you ever say that to someone? And I'm like, well, I don't like reading it. It's awful. Yeah. And they're they're like, well, why would you continue to say that to yourself? Because, I mean, I still have days where I'll treat myself like that. Yeah. I think it's really hard. I understand that. But, like, where did that, do you think, where did that come from? Like, where do you think it started? You know, because I have had many psych appointments um, working through, and that's why I believe that I am in a really good place. And like I said, I'm definitely a work in progress and I'm not perfect by any means, but I do look at myself and appreciate the beauty that I have of myself now most days. Um, But I reckon it, it, it all stemmed, I think, from, and like I said, I think this was my confidence and everything as well. I was always the bigger girl because I had an emotional eating kind of going through high school and stuff. Um, And I've had an eating disorder and all that. But when I used to go out with my girlfriends, they were all beautiful, tiny, gorgeous. And so all the boys would go for them. But I was always the most popular with the guys for my personality. And so they would always, oh, hi, it's like rah, rah, rah. And then I would think, oh, yes, like this might be an opportunity and I really like this guy, Michael or whatever. And then he would you, he would be like, we'd, we'd be laughing and be real ladsy and then he would go, oh, so, you know, I really like Mel or I really like Amanda or I really like blah, blah, blah. And so that was kind of, that re- literally went on for the whole of high school. And mm. it was when I got an eating disorder um, when I was 14, my mum actually tried to help me and I look back now and she only ever she only ever tried to help me and and a lot of people would go, why would she do that? But she took me to Weight Watchers to help me get my weight under control because that's what she done, her mum had done for her. Mm. And, you know, counting calories, all that, is probably the worst thing that you could do and I started to obsess and having the obsessive personality and anxious personality that I had, I started to obsess too much mm. and that's kind of when I went, on the downhill, but do you know when every guy wanted to date me was when I was at my skinniest oh, and that's... that was, you, so for me that kind of yeah. set right there in my young teen years, well, you're only successful if you're skinny. Mm. And so I then kind of, you know, the hottest guy in town wanted to date me, which was amazing and, like, we dated and then he ended up hooking up with one of my best friends. And so for me it was kind of like, those things embed in you and you don't realise. And then I think that's why, like, I started dating a really great guy and we had a very toxic relationship, but he is a great person, but together we were so wrong together when we were really young. And then I kind of went back into that horrible spiral after we broke up in my 20s when I was travelling. And guys, always the same thing when I was out in Europe travelling. They wanted to be my best friend. They thought I was the funniest chick there, loved me, wanted to be my best friend for life, couldn't wait to friend me on Facebook to, you know, catch up in London or whatever, but none of them wanted to hook up with me or date me or bank me, which is what I was searching for then. Um, they, But they did all my friends. Yeah. So it's really, it's that must have been really hard actually. Yeah. Oh, it was so hard. And now I just think, well, fuck them all because I've got – a great husband, like one of the most gorgeous guys in the world who has the kindest heart, and I think I had to go through all of that 
to get, and he's really helped me love myself, you know, because you know how they say, oh, you, you'll never meet anyone unless you love yourself. I mm. call bullshit on that because he loved me before I loved myself. He's definitely been a massive part of that kind of journey as well. So, you know, I think you've got to kiss a lot of toads and you've got to be treated like shit sometimes and then, you know, it, it good things do happen. Mm. And sometimes when you're like, obviously with all that negative self-talk and, and with your eating disorder and things, it's like you can't always attract something really incredible when you're not feeling good about yourself anyway. So, yeah, like I yeah. think for a lot of us, you know, we're like, why aren't we meeting the right guy? But we're treating yeah. ourselves like shit. It's like, well, like if you treated yourself well, you'd attract mm. the good stuff. But, I mean, you managed to attract an incredible I know. husband. You guys got married, was it the start of this year or last year? So end of last year. That's so we right. got married in September and we just had a honeymoon uh, over Christmas and stuff. But, yeah, you know, the, the time that I hooked up with him, I just moved to so – so we actually met each other in London years and years ago and we had a pash and he was one of those guys that I was like, <laughs> oh, of course he'll just want my hot friends. But he didn't. He came back to my house that night and wanted to hook up with me, but I'd already thought that he wouldn't want to get with me, so I was pashing someone else. <laughs> <laughs> you know, self-sabotage at its greatest. And that was kind of it. We stayed friends. And then years later when I moved to Newcastle, we went to a friend's combined 30th because like, she was our mate. And I was on a man ban. At that stage. So maybe that was the starting the respect that I was having yeah, for myself. You're like, no, you're yeah. not having me. And then the guy's and like, oh, I want her even more now. I know. And I was like, I'm not having sex with you the first night. And rah, 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 rah. Like, when, because when he started showing interest at me, like the first few days when we were all away together, because it was like a four day weekend, by day two or three, I was like, this guy, like, actually likes me. So I slept with him. And then, <laughs> <laughs> and then we've been together literally ever since. But he, like he said, he's like, there was always just something special about you. Yeah. And I was just like, oh. And then he's, I think, made me see. Things, you know, and like I said, I definitely reckon he loves me a lot more than I love myself still, but um, he's definitely shown me a lot, which is really, I think, awesome. And there aren't a lot of people out there that can help you do that. Yeah, definitely. I'm so pleased. It's, yeah, you guys seem so great. He seems really lovely, so that's cool. Although he yeah. does, he do the fly and fly out thing. Yeah, yeah. Oh. So he flies out. So he flew out on Tuesday. So he does every second week. He, so we kind of have been long distance, like in a long distance relationship since we've been together. How long have you been together? Six six years. Ooh, nice. Good yeah. work. So you've got oh, like, what, you. what's it like? You're like, oh, yes. <laughs> I know. I Kept feel so proud going. of myself. <laughs> well, um, how do you guys do the, like, obviously you're going to see each other, but like what's it like doing the in and out sort of lifestyle? I think since I've worked on myself and have so much um, confidence in myself now and I think, you know, like I was saying, I needed to be around people and stuff. I think I was still very much like that when we first got together and I moved to Perth. And I actually used to, I was only thinking about this today because I thought, I've got to write about this. I used to cry and go psycho before he would leave. And I had so much resentment that he chose to work away and not be with me. Mm. And then I would be alone and then I'd just get drunk and smoke cigarettes and whatever, you know, and um, and do crazy things with my friends still. And then it was only over like probably the last couple of years that I'm so content with where we are. And I think I just always had that fear that he was going to leave me or cheat on me up there or do you know what I mean? I had all that self-doubt and anxiety mm. and wasn't confident in being in my own company that now like we actually can't wait when each other, like when we leave each other, because it's like, okay, cool. I'll go get this done. And he's like, yeah, I'll go get work done. And, you know, and then I've got all these great 
times on alone now that I can meditate and I can, um, you know, hang out with my girlfriends and go to yoga and I don't feel like I've got to be around him 24-7. Yeah, and then when you do spend time together, it's probably like way more quality, you know. Yeah, well, you'd lo- you'd think so, but we spend a lot of time watching Netflix. That's all <laughs> or, good. Or, or, yeah, we're, but we're like, hey, we're on the couch together and yeah. we're cuddling. Like, that's close. And you've got to rest. <laughs> like, it's tiring, everything you guys are doing. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, talk. we'll talk more about that soon, but, like, going back to when you came back from London and, you know, you, ca- you came back a shell of a – you said you came back of a mm. shell of yourself. You know, where were you at and how did you sort of rebuild yourself? My mum cries when she talks about this. So she came to visit me maybe it must have been like three months before I decided to come home and I was an asshole. And if I look back now, my brother actually was pissed off at me, I reckon, for two years by, for the way that I treated my mum. But I didn't know because anxiety for me brings out a lot of anger and with the partying and everything like that, she was fully in my personal space and she'd come into my life in London and I still remember it was some of the worst possible. I didn't want to be around her. I hated her. I treated her like shit. And that's when I think she went, okay, there's something not right here. Like mm. she's on the verge of depression and um, whether she's depressed or not, there's something going on. Her like, And I think that's when she started to think, oh, God, she's turning into me. She's got her anxiety. But so mum and I had some real awful times. We also had like she was just about to get on the plane and I had this boss at the time who was a bully in PR but I didn't know, I thought that was the career that I was going to do and I hadn't really started to think about radio again Mm. and this lady abused me just before my mum was about to get on this flight and I just hung up and I sat in the gutter in London crying to my mum and my mum was like, I don't want to get on the plane and she cried and cried. She said she cried all the way to back to Australia because she felt so helpless and when she got back, she was like, you don't really want to work in public relations, do you? And then she was like, what, what are you doing there? Like, where, you know, you're not yourself, blah, blah, blah. And that's, she was the one that said, you've always wanted to do radio. Like, maybe it's time to come home. And I went, oh, my God, I think it is. Like, I don't know what I'm trying to prove to be here and I'm broke. I'm, like, you know, taking drugs and drinking all the time. And, like, I have just been an asshole, like, to my mum. And yeah. I didn't know why. Like, it was it was awful. Like if I ever have kids, oh my God, I don't want them to go like to treat their parents like that. And so I then decided I went and sat with my best friend and I was remember looking over London and I was like, I think I'm going to try and get into radio back home. And then I just went on this mission to like create all this stuff to get into afters. And I started to find that passion again. And when I got back, I remember just, like I said, being so broken from everything that I'd done, like all the partying. And mm. I st- I got home and I was diagnosed with anxiety and I went to one of those free, ten had 10 free sessions or whatever. And I remember at the time thinking that, I like, I didn't research anxiety. I didn't really try and understand it. I just went to the sessions and they told me that I had it. And then I had to do cognitive behavioural therapy and it helped at the time. And then I just thought I was cured. Like Mm. I didn't actually realise me until it was 2015 or 16 that I came out publicly on the radio. It was only in those last six months before that that I actually really understood that I've been a high-functioning anxious person for years, for like for as long as I can remember from when I was a child. So... 
and now having done all the meditation and, um, you know, and exercising and everything that I do to keep my mental health, when I find peace in my brain, I'm like, oh, so this is actually what a normal person. <laughs> yeah. I, I, like, I've like the normality is crazy. Like when you have those moments, right, you go, oh, my God. God. Yeah. I often think that I'm like, is this what we're meant, like, it's meant to feel like? Because this is really nice and chill <laughs> yeah. and calm. Like, I know. And like, I have my friends to sit there and like, when we'll go for massages and stuff, like, we'll compare because they love just hearing, like, are you serious, Heidi? Is that the shit that you were coming up with in the massage? And I'm like, yeah. You know, and sometimes I can have moments of pure peace. And when I hear that, like, my friend goes, oh, I literally didn't think about anything the whole time. I'm like, are you joking? Like, didn't you have 60 conversations going on in your head, like, during that time that you were sitting there and stuff? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so I think for me it was more like I came home, like, and I just I think probably detoxing from the drugs and stuff and, um, you know, because, like, you know, pills and coke and all that is very cheap in London. And when you're poor... That's kind of just what you turn to, like you know. And then you and then you drink to come, like because you're coming down or whatever. And then I remember I came back and, like I said, I was angry. Anger was a big sign, and um, I was yeah. That was when I didn't have a lot of confidence, and I found I was in my head a lot. And I think just yeah, having my parents be a mirror, maybe holding up the mirror, was when I went yeah. Okay, I need help. I don't think people realise as well, you know, like you see a lot of young people in all ages, people taking drugs. And I think often we just think we're invincible and that we can take yeah. them and they're going to have no impact on us. But like they're literally like chemicals and they're going to do things to our brains oh and our bodies and not everyone can handle them. In fact, no. someone told me that like one of the worst things you can do if you've got mental health, like anxiety or whatever, is mm. literally take drugs and drink. It's like literally yeah. the worst thing you can do for it. Oh, my God. So we used to <laughs> smoke a lot of weed. And I was always the one that would be having, like, couldn't breathe, um, thought I was going to die. That had to take me to the hospital a couple of times. And no one else was having this. And all my friends were having the best time of their life, like, eating food and laughing. And I'd be having, like, 10 panic attacks in the room next door, trying to get to sleep, thinking if I went to sleep I was going to die. And at that stage, that's when I went, oh, okay. I d-. And I remember it was in London. I was like, I don't think I should take weed anymore. I don't think I should smoke weed anymore. Like, this isn't good. Mm. But then I, then I started to think, oh, but, you know, Coke's not that bad. But I would, when I would come down, that's when I would have the panic attacks. But I never knew what they were. I didn't, I just thought that that was just what happened to me if I took drugs. Yeah. And it's hard because, I mean, I think for a lot of people, when your friends are doing things and when you're at a certain age, I remember thinking this too, like, you know, people would say to me, like family or therapists, like you just can't do what they can do. And I'm like, well, why yeah. not? Like, why not? It's so unfair. <laughs> yeah. Like, why can't I yeah. handle everything like they can, you know? Yeah, I know. And then like, you know, and I've got friends that still go out and party on drugs and stuff sometimes. And I'm just like, oh no, I got to work on Monday. And you know, they might, this might be, they might be on holidays and I'll, and they're like, Heidi, it's like, you don't have to go back to work for two weeks. I don't care. I've got to work in two weeks in a Monday. There's no way I can like even contemplate that yeah. kind of anxiety or panic and stuff that I get. Yeah. And when you have felt that bad as well, I just don't think, mm. I don't know, I just don't want to do that ever again because I, you know yeah. how, like when you've been in those spots and you've had those effects, like so bad, you just don't want to experience it ever again. It's not worth no. it. No. Like I say to any kids growing up, never smoke and never take drugs. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm like, God, now I sound like my mum, but I'm like, smoking is so goddamn addictive and drugs are just bad for you. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so when you talk about, you know, rebuilding yourself and 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 getting it, like you said you were in your head a lot. So how did you get mm. out of your head? Well, I still don't get out of there. Like, yeah. I mean, I'm still there a lot, but I'm – 
I don't stay there as long, <laughs> if you know what I mean. And, you know, like there's times that uh, like, you know, when it's that time of the month, like uh, for me, I, I actually get quite bad paranoia, mm. um, you know, and for me, when I spoke about it publicly was in 2000, I can't remember if it was 2015 or 2016. And that was kind of when I actually really understood anxiety and I started to really become self-aware of my behaviours and everything like that. And that's when I've implemented things to get out of my head. And like I get the one message I get from people all the time on my Instagram was how do you, how do you help yourself? Like, how do you, you know, with your anxiety? Cause a lot of people don't want to be medicated and, you know, a lot of people choose to be medicated. Like my mum and bestie both are anxious people and they're both medicated. So there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But for me getting out of the head, it takes hard work and it takes work daily. And I'm very open with people about my mental health and especially the people I work with and especially the people that are around me, like my husband and and his family. I educate people so that they can really understand and see the signs. Like, because for me, a big sign when I'm in my head will be I'll get very nitpicky and I'll, um, I'll come across quite a, I'm, I'm, my warmness isn't there. So, um, yeah, like, it, but it's taken a lot of work. It's yeah. taken a lot of work. Was it? What was it like for you opening up publicly about your anxiety? Was that like really scary for you, or was it something you just knew you had to do? It was the fucking scariest moment of my life, but it's also been one of the best things I've ever done. Because, like I said, I've now educated myself. I've met heaps of people. I understand it so much more. But I remember it was actually when my boss, we changed bosses here at work. And, (laughs) I mean, most people don't like change, but then you get an anxious person with change (laughs) and they're just like next level um, crazy. And so I... I really started to crumple like with this new boss and she sat me down one day and like she, I felt like she was really um, quite like, you know, um, uh, what was, what's the word I'm looking for? Like she was very um, like, you know, oh, micromanaging. Yeah, I was going to say that. Yeah. So she was quite micromanaging and I, and that even made me even more panicked. And anyway, we sat down one day and she said to me, I don't understand anxiety. Can you kind of, maybe you should write about it and maybe you could read it out on the radio for people to understand it a little bit better. Cause at that stage I was struggling with my co-hosts as well because of he had mental health issues and I had mental health issues and that's not a good combination at four o'clock in the morning. Mm. And then I wrote it all down and then I was like, I can't say this. Like I, like people are going to think I'm crazy. And I kept it for six weeks. And then I just said to my producer one day, I'm ready to do this right now at eight o'clock today. If you, if you don't let me speak about it, like this could pass. And she was like, right, okay, we're ready to go. Like, let's do it. And I have never been so petrified in my life reading out what I'd written. And my hands were shaking like crazy. I had tears running down my face. Um, the guys that I was working with, I think the one with mental health issues, he was just like, what the hell is going on? Because it probably was bringing out a lot of his demons and thoughts and stuff as well. Um, and then I literally was inundated. I'm talking over a thousand plus messages on Instagram and Facebook 
emails, people calling the station, um, and then they put this video. They actually recorded it and put the video online, and it got shared over two million times. Wow! Uh, sorry, two million views and shared like you know however many times around the world. I was receiving messages from people in Sweden and this and that and rah rah, rah because they couldn't believe that someone had just said what they were feeling the whole mm-hmm. time. And I think for me, like I said, it was the best thing that ever happened to me because I realized the connection that I have with people and how we're all going through so much of the same thing and we're not alone. And for me, I felt very alone then. Like it was the darkest six weeks, the lead up before that of my life. And I've never been so low. Um, And I think I was as low as when I got back from London. And like I said, not really understanding it. And then I realized at that stage, like I, I was coming home from work. I don't even know how I was going to work, but people will know this and you know yourself as an anxious person, you function. If you're a high functioning person, but you don't actually, like the six weeks was very dark and a lot of patches because I can't remember a lot because I was just functioning at this other level. And um, I was coming home and like Griffo, my husband would pick me up off the bathroom floor and I just crying and Mm. crying and crying. And then I was having panic attacks in the, like in the bathroom in between breaks. And then I'd come back into the radio studio with tears in my eyes and then have to laugh and, you know, and be engaged with these two guys that I work with. And it was when you're being, I find when I'm anxious, I'm very fake because I'm not me. And I find that so emotionally and mentally draining. It's like literally living as another person. And I think I did that for that six weeks that, like I said, at the end, it was like relief. I was happy that I got out. I was petrified. And then I spent weeks and weeks and weeks writing back to people. And that's when I realized, hey, there is so much opportunity for me here to be a voice for people with mental health issues. Um, There's also a a great for me to connect with people. Um, And it was an awesome time in in my life because, honestly, it made me understand myself more than ever by just talking to other people. Yeah, good on you. I think completely well done because it is a really scary thing to do um, and you would have helped. So, I mean, you would have helped and you still will help so many people with it. Do you think, though, that like, you know, you say in that lead up to six weeks before you did it, did you think like, you know, when you're in a really low spot, did you think maybe it would be a bad idea to share it? Like, because you can get quite scared about oh, sharing yeah. things if you're in a bad space. You're like, oh, yeah. maybe this is like, I'm not good. Like, maybe I just can't handle this right now. You know, like, is it going to, because you've got to be, it's hard, I think, working in radio and in and, yeah. and, and many industries. You've got to be yourself and be honest, but then also at the same time, it's like, you still want to keep a job and like, are people yeah. going to understand it? They're still going to keep you on the show. Do they think you're like, this is some of the thoughts that go on in an overthinking, anxious mind, but you're like, are they still going to keep me here? Because the thing with being, you know what? Yeah, that didn't even question. I I didn't even question that, like whether I'd lose my job or anything like that. Um, And I think that's because I had the support of my boss before. But there's definitely been times that I that I've gone through that, especially even after and understanding myself, like and working myself up to, oh my god, they're going to fire me and this and that and rah rah, rah, and maybe I shouldn't have said that on the radio and blah blah blah, blah, (laughs) and all these people are going to judge me and rah. rah. There's definitely times like a hundred and fifty percent, but in that moment. And this is the weird thing, and I don't think anyone's ever asked me that question before. I actually wasn't thinking about anyone else. I was only thinking about myself because I was so, so unhappy and so dark that I, and I'm a sharer, right? Like I, and, you know, people are like, oh, my God, you overshare so much. I can't help it. 
I, I literally, if I go into a situation, I've got something in my brain, like say um, my best friend's just found out she's pregnant and I've got to go into a situation with all my other girlfriends. I just want to blurt that out because mm. that's the kind of person I am. And it's not that I can't keep a secret. It's just that I'm like, oh my God, I'm holding on to something here and I just need to like vomit it out that I'd been holding on to this for six weeks. Mm. And like I said, I definitely questioned whether I should just share it just because I, I like I didn't think anyone would really care if I'm being honest. And then I, I, it was so much so that I felt like I was in such a shit place that I just had to tell everyone why I was in a shit place. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I didn't think about any other repercussions. I didn't think that anyone would really care. I was absolutely blown away because they say one in two people suffer from anxiety. Uh, sorry, um, no, two million people in Australia suffer from anxiety, right? I call absolute BS on that because the amount of people that I got that I think anxious people like me didn't even know that they had it. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Or understood it. Like we are, there's so many anxious and there's much more out there, but they're too afraid to say anything. And I was too afraid to speak up, not because I was worried really. Like I said, I wasn't thinking about anyone else. And that's kind of been my mission since then is like helping other people, giving them a voice and letting them know that they're not alone. Mm. Because in that moment I was, and that's the one thing that I say to people when I do talks on anxiety, I was like, you don't realise how good it feels to just say it and then get it off your chest. Mm. And, And that's it. It's out there. Yeah, and then and then also learning that you're not alone because by sharing it mm. like you did and like other yeah. people do, it's like you're not alone and it. it's like this big burden you have and you feel like you're so alone and that, yeah. you know, like you – and the thing about anxiety is it's basically worry but then you worry about your anxiety so you're basically worrying about worrying <laughs> and it's like, oh, oh it's my god, worst. Or when you worry that you're not worried about something. Yeah. And I'm like, I'll sit there sometimes and go – and this is how fucked up I am. I'll sit there and go, oh, my God, I'm not worrying about – okay, well, I better worry about dying. Like – I'm like, I'm not worried about something today. And then so I'll just be like, oh, well, well, Heidi, that's the well, the one thing you need to worry about is death. Mm. And then I have these death thoughts and I'm like, what is wrong with me? Yeah. I don't need to worry about everything all the time. Yeah, it's really hard to understand and it's it's hard to explain because I feel like when you can be quite anxious and low, you can't really explain it at the time mm. to anyone. And also you feel like a freak. I still feel like sometimes... If I, like usually I can talk about it, but then sometimes you just can't get your words out and you just can't tell well, someone. You, and I think you get a bit reclusive. Yeah. Like that's because, uh, because, and I feel that that's a part of the paranoia. And everyone <laughs> is different, like what, what they go through. And like, because, like I said, my, the, and the one thing, like I actually should be medicated. And I've sat many a times in the Sykes chair and she said, Are you ready for medication? Not because she wants to push me that way, but because she's like, for the way you the chemical your chemical imbalance and and stuff she said like you do you any other person would be medicated um oh god now i forgot my train of thought that's okay you're all good um but yeah so it's um it, it is hard for people to understand oh yeah i was talking about the paranoia and so the paranoia for me was a big thing the recluse thing i think that's exactly right a lot of people go yeah use your voice why don't you just say if you're anxious at work or whatever and it won't be until I finish the radio show that I'll walk away and step away and go, oh, shit, I was real anxious today. Like mm. I was probably a bit nitpicky. I was a bit this. And then I'll text my producer or whatever and she'll go, oh, 
well, you should have just said. And I'm like, oh, no, because when you're in your head, you can't say. Because yeah. you're. I'm already thinking that you think I'm a dickhead. Yes. And then I'm, <laughs> and you know, and so you've created all these stories yep. in your head. Oh, totally. And you think that, yeah, you're like, oh, no, they're going to think this. And, oh, they're going to think this. I totally like, you yeah. and I are quite similar. I, I think, yeah, it's a weird thing when you think about it because we do get paranoid. Like, oh, my God. It's horrible yeah. when you feel it's crazy. Horrible. And and that's what people, like in the office, I've had to say to my boss, because they have the open plan office here and you talk over in her office, you can hear like, and especially after the show. And I said to her, when my anxiety is really bad and it's very self-obsessed and narcissistic, but I just think you're talking and bitching about me the whole time, <laughs> you know. And and she's had to sometimes she's like, no, Heidi, this isn't about you because I'm like, but I'm just being honest. So that's what like I try and do. I try and educate yeah. people, and it and that means I've got to be really vulnerable. Mm. And that's what's hard because sometimes I don't want to be vulnerable and I want to keep and I don't want to have to explain everything to everyone. But the only way that people are ever going to understand me is if I open up, right? Yeah. And so that's kind of what I do. Like I remember at the end of last year, just before the wedding, things got really, I got quite anxious and I can't even pinpoint it because, you know, um, it being busy with the wedding and stuff like that, I think it was more just that I got very overwhelmed. Mm. And, you know, and and you're probably the same when you start to overthink and then you don't even realise that you're overthinking sometimes and then it's all built up mm-hmm. and then that's when you can kind of explode or whatever. And I was really quite rude to the guys and, like, you know, because, like I said, I can anger comes out for me when I'm anxious. And I think it was a couple of days in and then I just burst into tears to my boss and she was like, this is where you need to be open and vulnerable. And I was like, fuck this. I don't want to be open and vulnerable. Yeah. And then I went home that day and I thought, no, the only way they're going to know I'm not an, actually an arsehole is if I explained to them. Yeah. And I wrote our whole team an email and I just kind of drilled down on if I'm acting like this and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, no one else will do that. No one else in our team has done that, you know, and they can be assholes any day of the week. Mm. But for me, because I'm like, I just want people to understand me. Yeah. And so I will continue to be vulnerable even when it's really hard. That's good. Good on you because I, I think a lot of us, and especially in an industry like radio, you get paranoid mm. that they're going to be like, oh, the bosses are going to get rid of you or like, you know, like. Oh, the tap on the shoulder in radio. Well, we know that's <laughs> happened a lot. So <laughs> I don't know. You just like by sharing that vulnerability, yeah. which is really good that you do that. I, I just think like it can be quite scary because then you start, I don't know, I know with me I'll just start overthinking what everyone's thinking and it's like, oh, oh yeah. fucking hell. Oh, girl, that is like what we do. <laughs> like that is the worst thing that we do and it's hell. And the thing is they're not even thinking about it anyway. Like they're literally not. Like they're just doing no. their own thing. They don't even think about it. Exactly, because they're probably <laughs> anxious ball of mess as well and they're thinking about themselves. <laughs> oh, awesome. So from sharing that and, um, and then – doing a lot of the work you've done now because mm. you do talk about anxiety you do you know you write about it you do a lot of other work so yeah what sort of other opportunities and work has that brought you as like a mental health advocate um well I think I've had to be careful with some of the things that I've chose to do because of my anxiety so I did get asked to speak a lot about it at the start but I was still so full of anxiety that I didn't like, you know, that it wasn't a fun thing for me to get up and do, even though I wanted to help all these people. So I would spend days and and weeks in the lead up to if I chose to do some of these things, it's just riddled with anxiety. So I then had to kind of like prepare a bit of like a speaking thing that I did and, um, and, and preparation going into that. So I did a lot of guest speaking and I still do that. 
but I am very cautious of when I want to talk and stuff and when I've got to, like, I've got to balance out my diary and everything. Mm. And I do say I've said no to everything this year because I mentally, when I came back from my honeymoon, have had a, like, you know, a massive downer that I've needed to really look after myself. Um, so I do say no to a lot. But then, you know, there's a lot of people that want free shit from you. Like when you want to talk about mental health, they're just like, oh, come to this, come to that. you got to help people. And so I did have to kind of look at it and go, you know, I do need to be paid for these gigs and stuff that I go to. Yeah. So I do talk. But like I said, I'm very picky with, um, with what I do. But I do speak a lot about it through my website and, you know, through podcasting and through my writing and stuff. Um, but I'm actually writing a book at the moment and that's kind of what I'm aiming to release this year, whether well I have done. to self-publish or... Well, I figured, like, I've been writing about mental health yeah. and body Your image. Your blog's got so much stuff on there, yeah. Well, exactly. And so I write for Perth now here in, um, and it's like a newspaper over here and I've been writing about this stuff for five years so I'm trying to collate all my columns and everything and then... I'm going to try and pitch it. And then if no one wants it, then I think I might self-publish. Yeah, good on you. Just do it. You've got so yeah. much you've written and you like so much you know about. So Yeah. But yourself. I guess for me, I just want to help people and that's kind of like why I will talk about it on my Instagram and that. I don't also want to be defined by it mm. either. And I think I went through that with when I spoke about my body image and, you know, I was one of the first people in radio here in Australia to talk, uh, to be truly open and honest about how I saw myself and that was, you know, when we talked about disgusting arms and this and that and that was a huge moment in my career but it was a huge moment for me in radio when I actually realised radio isn't about shits and giggles, it's about connection um, and, and, you know, and then and then with all this anxiety and stuff that I've come out with this now, I'm just kind of like there's been a lot of opportunities for me but I don't want to be defined mm. by Heidi, the girl who has suffered from negative body image. I don't want to be Heidi, the girl who has anxiety because there are times when I, you know, I feel like I, I'm not that person at all. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like I, I'm the, I'm a storyteller. I love life. I, you know, I do all these things but I also don't want to give up on there's so many people that, need to hear it. So I'm just trying to find a balance this year, I think, with yeah, that kind of stuff. Definitely. Yeah. I think often when you overload your diary a bit, I mean, I know I've had to like reschedule a few things lately because you just, you do overload yourself and that makes you actually really, ang yeah. it makes it worse and you need no. time. You need time, yeah. like you'll know, for self-care and just being able to fit your life in around everything. Yeah. And so... And I think, like, you just say yes to everything or, like, yes to things I and know. you don't want to upset people by changing things and it's like... Oh, I know. And I'm the I'm I'm so bad at changing mm. stuff. <laughs> like I am the worst at it because I do say yes. And that was one of the things I came back this year and I was like, okay, I need to say no to more because I don't want to let people down because there's anxiety of that. The anxiety is better when you just say no because then you let it go quicker. Whereas when you've got to let someone down, you then beat yourself up. Oh my God, they're gonna hate me, this, that, they're never gonna use me again, or you know, she's never gonna want to have coffee with me ever again, and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, I think it's better. Just yeah. say no from the get-go. Yeah, be clear about it. And just, like, do what feels right to you as well rather than, like, I think with anxiety comes a lot of people-pleasing as well, which just makes <sighs> it so much worse. Oh, my oh. God. People-pleasing is the worst. <laughs> and that, there are many sessions I've had with my psych as well, and that was one thing that I realised. But then I kind of – because I used to be, before I got into radio – I don't think I was a people pleaser. I used to say it straight. I didn't give a shit if mm. people liked me or not. And I think going overseas and going through that crazy journey and then coming into radio, um, 
and people judging you straight away and then, you know, in radio we get air checks for those people who don't know what that is. You sit there and then obsess about things you've said wrong and this and that and you get told by people and they're just opinions at the end of the day that you've done this wrong and done that right and blah, 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 that you just become like a crazy person. Mm. And it's not, it's especially when you're a person that's hard on yourself, you've already got all these criticisms about yourself <laughs> anyway, so it's like just add some more. Well, I don't, yeah. I, oh, my God, yeah. yeah. And so, I, yeah, you do, I don't even remember what my point was then I was just blabbering away no, but good. you become I guess like you need you need thick skin yeah how do you find working in an industry where you do have criticism whether it be from listeners online you know from air checks and things like that how have you dealt with that and how have you learned to sort of yeah just manage it I think working in regional radio, radio um, that really like knocked me down a lot. And like, you know, with the confidence even going into that, I didn't have a lot of confidence, you know, coming back from London and stuff. But now I'm at a point where I have, I feel like I've achieved, um, I guess, credible kind of status that I can say to my boss, this is how I kind of want to receive feedback. And do you know what I mean? And so we work well with that kind of stuff because she knows what's good for my ego and what's good for my anxiety and that. And I don't really like to publicly talk about what, um, you know, with other team members. Um, Like I like to have my own. Yeah. Yeah. I like to have my own, but also I'd like prefer them to send me stuff. And then I'm, I listen, but I listen to my own stuff anyway, because I'm so critical. Yeah. And, you know, I'll sit there and, or think of other ideas or whatever. But I think, one for me with when I first got into radio, seeing stuff through Facebook and, and, you know, I still remember the guy telling me I needed to go for more walks and eat apples because I was such a fat, horrible thing. Oh, my you know, gosh. And, but that's the thing that they go for. Like for mm. me as a bigger person, the, the one thing that I'll always get attacked for it will be, is my weight. Like it's just the easy, it's an easy thing. And so I think I started, it was when I got, by the time I got to Newcastle, it was the guys I worked with there that they were just like, stop reading into it. Stop feeding the monster within Mm. yourself. And, and then I went into big brother and I remember going, do you know what? This is national at this stage screw this, I'm not looking at absolutely anything when I came out to the point that I could have built my profile a lot more than I did, but I chose not to even have Facebook when I got out because I didn't want to read shit from people because Mm. I was like, I just, I'm not, mentally, I'm not prepared for that. Yeah. And so I think I I self-cared myself in that way. Yeah. Um, And then now I don't really read comments on any other newspaper articles or, or, or columns of my own. I don't read I don't read comments really, if yeah. I'm being honest, of anything because I think people are nasty and it's it doesn't need to be said and it doesn't it doesn't make me feel good. Even if it's about someone else, I don't like to yeah, read it. I totally so, agree. I just don't think you need to yeah. see it. And people no. who wanna people who wanna give you good feedback, they'll DM you yeah. on Instagram, you know, they're gonna Yeah, they're exactly. Gonna, they will go out of their way to contact you. And people who comment on like, you know, posts on Facebook or news sites, they're just trolls and and they're like not yeah. nice people, you know. Yeah, exactly. Who and has so time I for that anyway. Like, oh my god, I can't believe it. It's like just a horrible, horrible time to be alive with that kind of stuff, mm. and and that stuff really breaks my heart. So I try and keep away from that. And you know, like it's it's about building my own confidence. And I've gone through lots of self-doubt and stuff that people wouldn't even know that happens behind the scenes and moments that I've cried to my boss and, you know, I want to get to the next level but I don't feel like I'm good enough and it's only now that I genuinely believe that when everything's right for me, 
I will get to the next level. And that means for any part of my life, not not just, yeah. you know, like being confident in this and that, but just for many things to line up, it will it will happen when it when it happens. So I think just not feeding the beast. Like yeah. just if you're because don't you reckon we self-sabotage? Like oh, if you're having totally. a shit day, you're gonna see a shit comment and then you're gonna hound on it. And you know, like I received a couple of comments like coming back after my honeymoon that people didn't want to hear and because they'd messaged me on Instagram. Yeah. And I was just like, You can't oh, help but see that sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I'm just like, oh, whatever, mate. So then I highlight it and then put it up on my Insta story. I'm like, you should follow this guy. Seems like a really nice guy. <laughs> so I mean, I probably then I'm probably feeding the monster. But, but it's like that, because I, you know, when you get when you're in a low spot, you do things that make yourself feel, feel worse. Like I looked the other day at people who'd un- I looked at this thing of people who unfollowed me and I, like what? I think I know. Oh, I was, yes, I saw that you did I know. I was like, how do you know? You can oh. yeah, you can know. And like I was I literally no. couldn't sleep. I was awake at two in the morning and I went, like, why do you do these things? And I felt... You don't need to do that. You sound like my best friend, Kate. She she messaged me and she's like, this person unfollowed me. I'm like, oh, but I don't, I don't do it all the time, like, at all. Like, I, ha- I don't even give a shit most yeah. of the time, but they're just in a bad spot. You... You just like do things that are really stupid to yourself, and you know? Do you know what? Listen to me here, girl. I promise you that not everyone unfollows you because of what you're doing is wrong and because they dislike you. I unfollowed shitloads of people when I was going through a lot of negative self talk. And one of my friends said to me, write down, she said, do a test for two weeks, write down how many, when you're on Instagram or you're on Facebook, she said, write down how many negative thoughts you have personally about yourself when you go on there. And I did. And I was like, whoa, there was hundreds. You know, Mm. I'd see some of the people that I love, like Charlotte from Geordie Shore. I've just always loved her look on life and not giving a shit. But I was like, oh my God, I had 20 self-doubt things when I was just on one of her photos. Right. So she said, okay, after that, unfollow all those people. Right. And see how you feel. And it changed my perspective on um, on online. I don't follow everyone that I love now because mm. they sometimes bring out my insecurities. So what you're doing or what they're doing, there's absolutely nothing oh. wrong. And I think that's what we have to remember sometimes. You're holding a mirror up. Yeah. Because, you know, like they could be seeing how successful you are with your podcast and your career and like your self-care and everything. Like I love, I get jealous when you go down the beach every day. I want you to come to the beach with me. I know, uh, me too. <laughs> but you know what I mean? So it, I think that's what you can't. And, yeah, and I totally. think we all need to remember that because mm. I unfollowed some really good friends that work in radio because I was, I, they were hurting my, like I was saying all these horrible things to me. Mm. It was nothing that they were posting. They were doing amazing things and they're fucking awesome. But I was, I was the one that was beating myself up for being like, I'm not good enough, this, that, rah. So I unfollowed them and I told them, <laughs> I messaged you. I was like, sorry, you probably noticed that I unfollowed you, but um, you're too successful for me. <laughs> you, 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 you're bringing out all my demons. You're doing great and I'm, like, I'm beating myself up. <laughs> you're so funny how you're so honest you just tell them. Like, <laughs> I know, I couldn't help it. But, yeah, yeah so don't take it personally. Yeah. I mean, and then there's some assholes that are just jealous of you and you just yeah. want to be like, yeah, well, I am, I am awesome. <laughs> How have you managed, that's one of the ways, but how have you managed to overcome self-doubt and these negative self-thoughts at, at times? Obviously, they're not always, they're not going to yeah. disappear. They're not just going to be deleted forever. But how 
have you learned to overcome some of these mm. things? Because they definitely are still there. Um, even after this podcast, I'll sit there and go, oh, God, I hope did I do everything that she wanted? Like did, you know, I give her everything like, will it sound okay and blah, blah, blah. You know, so it is very normal. It's going to be incredible. <laughs> oh, You're amazing. Thanks, you just keep telling me telling me how awesome I am. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, no, so I, I think it's really about education of yourself and that was a big thing for me. I've read so many books, um, you know, that have really inspired me and to make me understand self-doubt and realise that the stories that we're telling ourselves aren't real, like so these thoughts in our head aren't real. And, mm. you know, like I think I started off with like Mastering Your Mean Girl by Melissa Ambrosini. Um, and then I like, you know, I've, I've literally, I can't even list all of them. If you message me on Instagram, I'll come up with a list for people or whatever, but I have my book. I spent shitloads of money on books. I listened to podcasts. Um, so other people telling their stories, I listened to a lot, Oprah, Lewis, Howe, like, you know, learning about your mind. And then one of my really good friends, Tracy, who I do workshops with now, we do it. We do workshops about getting out of your head and living more in your heart because you can see the difference when you live more in your heart. And some people will go, what the hell is she on about right now? But when you're spending so much time in your head, it's all bullshit and not real. And then when you have these, when you finally get to your heart, like you're not there in your head anymore. And so hanging around her, she made me realize and and helped educate me a lot on the crazy thoughts that we have. And so like I follow a guy called Jake Ducey and like he was only saying the other day, 65,000 thoughts we have a day, but most of them are in our subconscious and most of them are negative. 70% of our thoughts that we have a, a day aren't even real, mm. but we're, but we're having them anyway. So, um, I think really understanding that. And like I said, I read, I don't really read anything else other than self-help books. <laughs> um, Brene Brown's another oh amazing God, one. Her. Oh my God. Have you listened and to you, her podcast with Oprah? You would have. Uh, yeah. Like over and over and again. I'm like, yeah, yeah. All the time. <laughs> yeah. And like, I just sit there on YouTube sometimes, but so I feel like educating yourself on it and, and remembering that you're not going to change in one day. Mm. Like for me, this journey's been long so far. And, you know, even when I'm going, like I'm going to my psych today, I sit there and I like bring these things up with her and we talk about it and I understand because she's very, she's hippie, but she's also a bit science as well. And so I talk to her about these thoughts and and these things. And I think like listening to stuff like about able to being able to let go, because for me, a big thing was I couldn't let go of stuff when I heard it. And then I, and then I believed this story and this story going over and over and over on the loop in my head which like for most anxious people or anyone, they're bullshit stories. I started to read and um, about like meditation and all that kind of stuff. And then I remember I met two monks and they were so amazing and they helped change my life with meditation. And I remember they talked about that kind of stuff and they said like, you're not broken. These thoughts aren't real. And I did this meditation with them. And I was, I cried afterwards because I've never felt peace. Like there was nothing going on. Didn't last long, but I was like, <laughs> it's there and it's real. And so I think people think meditation is really quite woo-woo and it's not. Like I don't meditate for sitting there on my bum, like, you know, like the amazing Buddhists do for hours and hours on end. I wake up in the morning, I don't check my phone anymore. The first thing I do, my alarm goes off and I do 10 minutes of a, like a visualisation or 
whatever, just in bed or if Griffo's home, I'll go into the other room before I do anything. And it's just, you know, it might be like one that's a morning ritual and they just set you up for the day. But it means you're just not spending so much time in your head and you're just starting to let go of all that stuff and you're just having some quiet time, even if there's someone there chirping, you know, with visualisations. And then I'll do five minutes before the radio show and then, you know, today I might go home and I might do ten minutes again and I might choose to do in silence with, like, the techniques that I've been trained in Um, or I might just do a visualisation and then sometimes I will at night or sometimes I will only do the one in the morning. So, Mm. but like I say to people, because they'll go, oh, it's so woo-woo, try it because it will help you to start letting letting go of those negative thoughts. Mm. It definitely helps. And the best analogy that I've ever been told, and I preach it now, I can't even remember who told me, but think of yourself at a train station and trains are going by and you're standing on the platform, and the trains are your are your thoughts. So if you jump on the train, because that's what we do a lot of the time, we jump into that thought and then we get stuck on it, just get off at the next station when you're meditating. But when you're meditating, you're on that platform and you're just you're you're becoming distant from your thoughts and you're just watching them go by the carriages. And like I said, it's really normal for you to have thoughts in meditation. But just allowing yourself the time. Like I've noticed my temper is better. I don't I'm not as aggressive when I am anxious. I can still be aggressive, but I'm not as, you know, and I've and I've I'm letting go of those thoughts. Mm. They're not as fierce. And like I said, it's about surrounding yourself with the right people. I've I've spent a lot of money on going to different workshops, seeing different people, and I think just reaching out. I was always too scared to reach out. I've now got really great people around me. And when I got back from my honeymoon, I was struggling a lot mentally with negative thoughts and stuff and getting back into the year and I didn't really know who I was and what, you know, these I had a bit of like honeymoon blues and wedding blues and stuff. And I wouldn't, I would never normally do this, but I just reached out to my friend, Dr. Kat, who's helped me a lot with stuff. And she was the one that taught me all about the unfollow on Instagram. And all I just needed was a session with her. Mm. And we just chewed the fat. And then she was just like, you're obsessing about your weight and eating at the moment because of your identity. She's like, it's deeper than just the outside shit, you know? So I think it's being able to reach out to people as well. Yeah, and, like, overcoming the self, the um, the body image things, I think that's really relatable with, like, a lot of everyone. Like, all of us have body image issues to a certain degree, but especially with women, it's such a big thing. And I think, you know, how have you managed to – obviously it's something that you say still affects you a little bit now, even when you came back from your honeymoon. How do you sort of work on that? Um, that again has been long process, but I reckon now looking back at it, the, um, the body image stuff for me is all very much related to anxiety as well for me. Um, but it's surrounding myself with people like Dr. Kat, meeting her, really getting to understand why I am doing that because on the outside, I'm obsessing about my food and exercise and all that, but what is going on really internally? And she talks a lot about like the iceberg, you know, like, there's the seven pillars really that are going on underneath, like could be your job, it could be your relationship, it could be whatever. And mine was my identity. I really was struggling with my identity this year. But, you know, like I can't sit here and say, put a bikini on, go do nude yoga, all the stuff I've done, do a nude photo shoot, this, that. It'll make you feel better. They have empowered me in the moments, but I still have fierce negative body image issues. Um, But because I think through meditation and all that kind of stuff and surrounding myself with the right people and being able to talk about it, it doesn't affect me as much and I don't hold on to it. 
So do you feel long. like it's gotten like it's gotten a bit better in terms of its? Oh not my as god, severe. so yeah, much, so much. But you know, like I said, this year it's like it's reared its little head again, and I think that's because I, my some of my self care things went out the window. Like I wasn't training, I wasn't ex, uh, so I wasn't training, wasn't eating healthy. Because um, for me, it is very much that. Like I, you know, and I do exercise for my mental health, and I think that all comes with it. But, you know, comparison is a big thing and that, you know, talking about the radio industry and all that kind of stuff, like I just feel like you're doomed in these kind of jobs. You're doomed You're doomed in any job because you're always going to compare yourself. You know, you're doomed in your friendship groups because you, you compare yourself and I think that's what I like about this whole kind of movement of women supporting women and you doing a podcast like this. It's like, no, fuck that. we got to stop, you know, and I think mm-hmm. there's there's a quote that I see online all the time and it's like, um, real women fix each other's crowns mm. and, you know, like, and, and, and that's what I think we need to teach our children. And it sucks that we compare and judge and this and that, but, you know, like I said, I think it's natural. Like, unfortunately we're human beings. That's just the way that we are. And, and, and so putting things into place, you know, by supporting each other in groups and in, and empowerment groups and workshops and podcasts and, and books and everything that we can continue to fight the fight. And um, I was going to say this girl, really good tip. I don't know if you know her, the Body Positivity Panda Girl. Do you know Do you follow her? She's got no, like, I haven't followed her. Oh, no. my God. So she out. talks, oh, she's so good. I think that's her name. I can't remember. She was just recently on Russell Brand's podcast. She has made me start thinking like the whole reason why we speak to ourselves like this and why we have negative body image issues is because of the diet culture that has been created. And like, if you go to her, I can't, I don't want to take all her words because she's like, she, she was just like, for me, I was like, oh my God, so many alarm bells went off that I'm not really fucked up and I shouldn't, like I, I am unique and, and there is no other Heidi Lee Anderson, you know, who does radio and does this, that these are things that I need to celebrate. But for so long we, with women, and I think now, man, we focus on what we look like mm. and, you know, and, and that's just the way that society is because of all these diet. you know, you're told all the time you need to go on a diet or you need to do this or you've got to drink this tea and blah, 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 that we're just surrounded by it. And she she was just basically a few years ago after eating disorder and that she was just like, no, screw you. You will not tell me and you will, you know, what to do with my life anymore. And she's so inspirational and I reckon everyone should, yeah, check her out. Yeah. What are some of your self-care tips and like or things you do for yourself that are your self-care practices, which could be tips for other people? Yeah. So definitely I try and exercise like four to five times a week. And I always, you know, I hate it when people message me and they go, yeah, but I can't afford to go to the gym, Heidi. Like you can't, no, bullshit. I don't go to the gym every day. I actually do a lot of training, which I'll probably do after this. I go home and do like a 20-minute high intensity on YouTube mm. or a 20-minute um, weights thing. So it's in there, you're in there quick. And that's, yes, that's motivation from yourself. But if you really want it, then you just do it. Yeah. So sorry, no excuses. Like, mm. And you don't need to go to a gym or go for a walk or whatever. But I don't really find walking that relaxing. So I like to just get in and get shit done in the, you know, um, in the gym or at home. And so that's a big one for me. Eating right, drinking less alcohol, I've realised, is a big thing. The less I drink, the better I feel. Um, meditation, like I said, I, I told you guys how, you know, I, I try and implement that into my life as much as I can. Um, educating myself, you know, spending time reading other people's stories, listening 
that to me is self-care because then I start to relate to it and I go, oh, yeah, that's what's going on with me. And then I start to feel better. I like to get massages. I spend a lot of time um, getting treatments um, and I like to float. Floating's a good one. Um, But, yeah, mine are all pretty, like, you could do them for free. Do you know what I mean? Like they're all things, you know, get your partner to give you a massage if that's what makes you feel good and you don't have the money. Do you know what I mean? I feel like we make too many excuses and it is too hard because we spend so much time in our head and we think of every reason not to do it. Yeah. I love going to the beach, but I actually get too much in my head about it. So I will go when I'm with Griffo and with friends, but I don't like to go to the beach on my own, even though I know I feel so good from it. So that's going to be a goal this year. Yeah, do it. Um, yeah. What would you tell younger Heidi, you know, oh. years back when you were, you know, whether it be in London or even before then, what would you tell mm. her? Do you know, it's so funny. I wrote myself a letter. I published it or oh, maybe like six months ago when I got back from New York and it was like 10 different things. Um, and they were all really random because one was don't ever smoke. Don't, you know, work, you know, work on your posture now when your mum told you to because <laughs> I've got like such bad um, issues that I have to go see the car and the physio. But uh, like it would just, I just wish that I could have taught myself back then that I didn't need to be skinny to be successful and I didn't need anyone to verify who I was whether that's with a tick on Instagram, um, you know, a like on an Instagram post or a bloke to want to date me for me to be cool or, you know, the prettiest girl or do you know what I mean? I just think I would just say who gives a fuck what you do or who you are as a person just as long as you stay kind and, um, and you look after yourself and you're a good person. That's all that matters. Yeah, totally. It's yeah, and I mean you've you've done, you've been through so much and you've come a long way and you're doing incredible. Like you're so good at what you do. Oh, thanks, girl. No, like, you should I, like be I so said... proud of yourself. Like honestly, like it's not an easy industry. And you're like on, you know, you're on breakfast radio in Perth. That's like I know. Did you ever think and... you would get there? I mean, you did because you were determined. You're like, oh I'm yeah. Get there. I, I did, and that was a thing. I knew I was going to get here. I think it's the self-doubt that I'm like of the other, like of getting to the next level, and that's because I feel like I've got my future is in the hands of someone else, and I hate that sometimes. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like someone's got to give me the job, and I'm yeah. like, oh, screw you, man. Um, but, yeah, I do. I think you do have to take moments in your life, and I, I've even said this in my workshop, write down your achievements, and, you know, I should bloody do that. <laughs> yeah. And celebrate, you know, like what you've done and remind yourself because you, you're always reminding your mates. Yeah. What Some other advice just to end on, like what would be some advice you would give to someone who's whether they're going through a really tough time right now or they're battling with any of these things we've talked about, which mm. is so normal. Like even, you know, people can look at you and be like, wow, she's so successful, but you still battle with these things. Mm. Yeah. What would be your advice to them? Reach out and talk to someone and I know that you might be petrified or even write it down and blurt everything out and send me a goddamn email if you want, Heidi at realheidi.com. Tell me how you're feeling because I do, I try and pretty much write back to everyone. Um, I have created created different boundaries this year for myself, but I pretty much, if you email me, I'll always write back. Definitely reaching out was one of the greatest things that I did and I spoke quite publicly. You might just need to tell your partner that this is how you're feeling and thinking and you might need to tell them so that you can go get help. So I would say just reach out and speak out. There is absolutely nothing wrong with you. 
And, you know, the thing is, the beautiful thing about it is you'll probably realise there's about 50,000 people that are going through exactly the same thing as you, even more. Do you know what I mean? You are not alone. And so that's why I'm like, don't think you have to do this alone. So reach out, speak out, whether it's your doctor, your friend, um, you know, writing yourself a letter, like just blurting it all out because I feel like sometimes when it's inside that is when it has its power on you when you're not sharing. And that's why I think I share so much because when you're, you know, you're overanalyzing or, you know, spending time on the merry-go-round, which we do, you're, you know, you just sometimes need to get it out and then you say it and it's like, oh, yeah, that's not even real and that's not even that big a deal. Yeah. And what about for people who really want to do some really cool things for themselves? Like, you know, you've built this really cool career for yourself. People are like, I want to do this or I really want to, like, achieve my dreams. Yeah. What would you say to them? Exactly what my parents said to me. So I didn't even know what feminism was or, you know, that I couldn't achieve any, like when I was growing up in my family because it didn't matter who you were, whether you're male, female, whatever. It didn't matter if you wanted something, you work hard. And if you and, and you show that passion and you portray that passion to the person or thing that you want and everything else you can t- be taught and learnt along the way. But if you work hard and you're passionate, you will succeed. Oh, thank you so much, Heidi. You're so incredible. I feel like we could learn so much oh, from you. You're oh, such an incredible stop. role model, though. Like, I think you're oh, awesome. Thank you. I oh, think God. We, we need like we need more people and like that are actually like so real. And I'm not saying that other people aren't real, but I just think that a lot of the time we're in these like professional roles, whatever industry it is, and it's just nice to see someone that's like doing really well, but they're real and they're like, you know, I go through this and it's just I don't know, it just makes people feel better about life, you know? Oh, it does. And, like, it makes me feel better as well because when I share, and, you know, that's (laughs) what I think when I share on the radio sometimes, people are like, as if you said that story about Griffo or this or that. I'm like, yeah, but then I realise that there's 10 other people that feel exactly the same way. (laughs) So I know I'm not alone. So selfishly, like I said, I do it for myself sometimes as well. (laughs) Awesome. Hey, thank you so much for being on the Self Love Club. Thank you for listening to the Self Love Club podcast. A special thanks to Nick Baldwin, our audio engineer. Please subscribe for more episodes and catch up on eps you may have missed. Reviews and sharing this independent podcast with your friends and on your Instagram stories helps so much in spreading the self-love message to others who may need it. To find the Self-Love Club resources and blog posts, check out my website, bellcrawford.com. You can follow me at bellcrawford on Instagram. I love hearing from you so much. Also, we've launched the Self-Love Club community on Facebook where you can connect with other members around the world. We've got heaps of boss babes coming up to empower you through the rest of 2019 with weekly episodes available each Monday, like Nat Gringudis next week, Jenny, the founder of Federation after that, and heaps more. Catch you soon, babes. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.